As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us the grace of your Holy Spirit, that your word may be faithfully preached to the honor of your name and the edification of your church. Help us to receive your word with the humility and obedience which it deserves. And hear us, for we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Ruth book of Ruth chapter 3. If you're visiting with us this evening, we're glad to have you here. We've been considering a series in the evening through the book of Ruth, and we've come to Ruth chapter 3. You'll find that on page 284 of many of our pew Bibles. Ruth is towards the beginning of the Bible. It's the eighth book of the Old Testament between Judges and 1 Samuel. So Ruth chapter 3, and we're going to read the whole chapter together and think about what God's Word has to teach us here. So Ruth chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment that you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Um, I know I'm leaving out the exciting conclusion to the story. You'll have to come back uh, next week. It's a 
that's a cliffhanger we talk about in the business, right? Um, so this is, but this is a wonderful story of uh, the blessing that has come to them, and we've been considering this story. Um, and uh, you may not, may or may not be aware, there's kind of a big sporting event going on right now. Um, obviously, you're not watching it, and I'm not watching it, but um, I'm almost positive that something will happen during the course of that game. This is not a word from the Lord, I'm guessing. Um, But what I'm guessing will happen is that at some point, someone will use the word redemption. Some player who's failed in a big moment before will do something big in in the moment, and they'll say, that's redemption. He he messed up before, and now he's done this. That's redemption. Um, And every time I hear that, it drives me crazy Um, because it trivializes a very important word. Um, It's probably, when it comes to sportscasters, maybe one of the most overused and most underappreciated words. Um, It trivializes a serious word, a serious word that speaks to us of a serious need. Uh, When the Bible speaks about the kinds of things that we we need redemption from, um, it's not making a bad play in a game. Uh, We need redemption from our souls going down to the pit as Job says, or from all evil, as Joseph says, um, or from our life and our soul out of every adversity, as David says several times in the Psalms. God's people need redemption from slavery in Egypt. They need redemption from captivity in Assyria, as Isaiah talks about. They need redemption from captivity in Babylon, as Jeremiah talks about. Uh, We need redemption from our sins and from the curse of the law, from all lawlessness, from our bodies of death, which are awaiting resurrection. Um, We all need that in the Lord Jesus Christ. Redemption is a serious word. Uh, It's an important word. It addresses a serious need. And this section of of this letter is... What are we talking about? Of Ruth, not a gospel, not a letter. Um, this, this book is all about redemption. Um, this is an important part of what's happening in this story. This is what God has provided, a system of redemption for his people to address the serious needs that they have. It's a serious word corresponding to a serious need. Um, and this story presents us with a woman in particular who's in need of redemption, And this is the story of their plan, hers and Naomi's, to find a redeemer. Uh, That's what this passage is really about. Ruth is seeking a redeemer. Um, And in this this wonderful section of the book, we find Ruth at the redeemer's feet, in the redeemer's heart, and under the redeemer's care. And that's how we want to think about uh, this story together. Um, Seeking a redeemer and being at the redeemer's feet, in the redeemer's heart and under the Redeemer's care. Um, we, we noticed how, as we move through this book, uh, how in the first chapter there was a lot of tragedy uh, that led to a lot of emptiness and bitterness, that it was a sad beginning to the story, but we seem to have turned something of a corner in chapter 2, and there had been a lot of blessedness that had come to Ruth, particularly from God through Boaz uh, in her need and in her difficulty. Uh, but still something in this story is yet missing. With all the wonderful blessedness that there was in chapter 2, there was, I think, a note of uh, unanswered hopes at the end of the chapter where we read, and Ruth lived with her mother-in-law. Not that that's a hopeless situation in and of itself, Um, but I think what that drives home is the the desire that Naomi had expressed for her daughters-in-law in in chapter 1 have gone unfulfilled. 
I remember when Naomi tried to convince her daughters-in-law not to come with her in chapter 1. It was because of her wish for them expressed in 1 verse 9, uh, that the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Um, And I think as chapter 2 ends, with all the blessedness Ruth has experienced, experienced, she still does not have this resting place in that sense. Um, She has not come into a home of her own, uh, into a family of her own in that sense. And I think we see at the beginning of chapter 3 that it's still the desire of Naomi's heart for Ruth to find a resting place, uh, for Ruth to find a resting place. And, of course, a resting place for Ruth also means a resting place for Naomi, um, and say Naomi has a plan. She has a plan for how to go about finding a resting place uh, for Ruth. And I think that's what we need to see as the goal of her plan as she lays it out to Ruth uh, in chapter 3. Her goal is that Ruth might find rest. Um, That's the entire goal of the plan that Naomi sketches out in verses 2 through 4. The goal of this plan is very clear, to find a redeemer that will provide a resting place for Ruth. Uh, the goal is very clear, but the plan, I think, as it's explained to us in the book, is intentionally left somewhat ambiguous. Um, we're really not sure what we're supposed to make of this plan. Um, we read about the plan in, in chapter, in verses 2 through 4. Um, we know what the means are that are trying to be achieved through this plan, but the plan itself is a little uncertain. I think it's meant to be that way. I think we're meant to read this and ask the question, now what what kind of plan is this exactly that Naomi has come up with? What exactly is she asking Ruth to do? Um, Because on the one hand, this could be a perfectly innocent plan as she sketches it out, right? Go to him at night when you can catch him in private. Uh, Uncover his feet might be nothing more than just the kinds of things you do to wake somebody up. Um, This might be sort of the equivalent of shaken by the shoulder. Um, If your feet are uncovered in the middle of the night, you might wake up with cold feet. And so um, this might just be a perfectly innocent kind of suggestion for something that would wake him up or maybe to be more symbolic as an act of uh, protection and coming under his care. Um, This might just be wake him up, appeal to his covenant love and to the kindness that he's already shown to you. Um, So this would be a perfectly innocent plan for uh, just asking him to be a redeemer. Some people looking at this have seen that this almost sounds like a kind of indecent proposal. Um, This might not be the kind of thing you would encourage one of your daughters to do or one of your nieces to do, uh, to go to somebody at night after he's been making merry at the end of the harvest um, and go to him alone where he's sleeping and lie down next to him. Uh, this, you know, maybe sets off some warning bells in our heads. Um, and some people have even suggested that what she's telling Ruth to do is to go and to seduce Boaz. Uh, to go to him when he's been drinking, find out where he's been sleeping, uncover his feet as a euphemism for doing more than just that, and then do whatever he tells you to do. And I think we're meant, as it's, been ex- as it's explained to us, to ask the question, what kind of plan is this? What kind of plan, what is going on here? Um, and that ambiguity is, is fairly quickly resolved by Ruth. But I think we're meant to feel kind of the tension of this plan and to recognize that it puts Ruth in a very vulnerable position, no matter what Naomi is intending by this suggestion. 
Um, she'll be alone at night in the middle of the dark with Boaz. Um, what if Boaz asks her to do something with him all alone at night uh, that she shouldn't do as a godly woman and as a servant of the Lord? Uh, what might Boaz do if he makes an advance and she refuses it? Right? It puts her in a very vulnerable position. Or what might Boaz do as a worthy man if he gets the wrong impression about why she's there? Um, if he sees this as some kind of ungodly attempt to seduce him, and what if that would, were to cause him to turn his back on Ruth and Naomi? To say, well, these, are, these aren't the kind of people I thought they were. Um, it could put Ruth in a vulnerable position no matter how Boaz responds to what she says and does. Uh, and then there's the further problem, what if Ruth and Boaz don't do anything wrong or indecent, but talk begins to go around town that she was seen sleeping with him in the middle of the night? Right, that she went to him in the middle of the night. Uh, Joan Jett might not care about a bad reputation, but a bad reputation for Ruth could be ruinous in the community, right? Um, she might never be able to find another husband if she gets a reputation for being someone who is just sleeping around with anyone in the town. So you can see how this, this plan, no matter what it really means, uh, could put her in a very vulnerable position. Um, but Ruth agrees and carry, as carries out the plan and goes and does what Naomi told her to do. Um, but Ruth does not leave anything ambiguous about why she goes and what she does. Uh, she is not going to be passive in this process. Um, she makes a decisive appeal to Boaz. She does everything just as she's been instructed, but she doesn't wait to be told what to do. Um, when he wakes up to find there's someone next to him and asks what she's there for, uh, she makes her intentions very clear. She removes any ambigu ambiguity that might have existed in this passage by what she says to Boaz in verses 8 and 9. And when he said, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. She's not there to make an indecent proposal. She's not there to leave her actions subject to interpretation. She makes it very clear why she is there. She is looking for a redeemer. Um, and that's a wonderful way to express this desire for redemption. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Um, I think it's wonderfully reminiscent of the blessing that Boaz spoke over her uh, back in chapter 2, verse 12. If you look back to Boaz's words when, he, when she had asked him, why have I found favor in your sight? And he's recounted what has been told of him about her and how she's cared for her mother-in-law. He blesses her and says in, in chapter 2, verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Um, I think these words are intentionally reminiscent of that blessing. Spread your wings over me. Um, it's just how he had spoken about the blessing of the Lord. And I think in a sense she's saying, I came to Israel as God's servant seeking shelter under the protection of his wings and he spread his protection over me as you yourself have said. Now I'm your servant. Spread your wings of protection over me and be a redeemer. Um, it's a wonderful appeal in that sense to him. Uh, she is at the redeemer's feet. She is completely at his mercy. Um, she is completely under his 
care here. And that's really what she has done. She has cast herself at his feet, asking him to be a redeemer. Right? Literally and figuratively, she's put herself at the feet of Boaz. Um, and how will he respond? And we see immediately not just that she is at the Redeemer's feet, but we see what is in the Redeemer's heart. Um, it's a wonderful expression of a willingness to be a Redeemer that Boaz expresses to her. He's under no legal obligation to be a Redeemer to Ruth. Right? He's not compelled to act. He tells us there is a Redeemer who is closer Um, So the nearest kinsman would have the responsibility of the Redeemer. Boaz is not the nearest kinsman. This is not his responsibility. And he could have thought to himself, you know, I've already gone far beyond what the law requires to care for you. I haven't just left the corners of my fields ungleaned. I've actually undertaken your protection. I've made your work easy by letting you go out with my with my reapers right behind them. They've pulled out food for you so you don't have to work as hard to do this. And Boaz could easily have said, you know, I've already gone above and beyond um, for you and for your family. Um, And just as the plan, you know, subjected Ruth to certain uh, vulnerability, there, there are problems that are posed to Boaz acting as a redeemer here, right? Ruth is a Moabite. She herself has said she's a foreigner, And historically, the Moabites were a people whose founding father was born out of Lot's drunken incest. Uh, They were a people that had often opposed God's people, who had led them into sexual immorality and idolatry, Um, so much so that God had permanently barred Moabites from uh, the house of the Lord and from his fellowship. And so that's a potential problem for uh, him to take her as a wife. And even though she has been brought in now to the people of God through marriage, uh, her existence is sort of a testimony to his family's disobedience, uh, that his kinsmen acted against God's law and took foreign wives, and that's how she's been brought to them in the first place. Um, what will people think? Right? There are potential problems for him as well. Um, but he doesn't respond with anything but unhesitating agreement, right? a willingness to do what she's asked him to do. Um, Not surprisingly, the first thing that Boaz does in response to this appeal is what he's been doing since we've been introduced to him in the story. He blesses Ruth in the name of the Lord. Uh, He speaks a word of blessing over her and calls her my daughter. Um, I think that's significant because Boaz is treating Ruth here in private alone in the middle of the night exactly as he treated her in public in daylight in his field in chapter 2. He's still talking to her the same way. He's addressing her, and not as a servant, but as a daughter. Um, I think this should make us think of Paul's admonition to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 2 and 3 and 5. Younger women treat as sisters in all purity, honor widows who are truly widows. She who is truly a widow, left alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Right? Ruth is, is a widow, she's a younger sister, and Boaz treats her in all purity here. Um, and doesn't just honor her or see this as an obligation, but actually sees her choice of him as a kindness to him. A kindness from her to him. Um, he talks about this, this request being a kindness 
Um, In verse 10, you have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Um, He's recognizing she's not choosing him because he's under some obligation to her and there might have been other people she might have chosen or might have seen as better prospects for the future um, for a godly young woman, but um, she doesn't seek this other help. She seeks the help of Boaz. And he counts this as a great kindness from her to him because of her worthiness. Again, there's a lot of resonances that continue to go on in this book. We were introduced to Boaz as a worthy man. And now he says, you've become known to the townspeople as a worthy woman. There's no reason for him to be ashamed to take her as his wife. And he tells her not to be afraid, uh, that he will do what she has asked him to do. Uh, This is a wonderful scene that the Holy Spirit has given us uh, to show us what's in the heart of this Redeemer for Ruth when she makes this appeal, how he responds. Uh, Someone who has no reason to expect anything from him more than what she's already been given, but she comes to this one who is a Redeemer and finds in the heart of her Redeemer blessing and care and kindness and worthiness and assurance. Um, Sometimes it's hard in the Old Testament to know how it connects to Christ. I don't think it's hard here to see how this connects to Christ. Uh, Surely this is the heart of our Redeemer as we come to him as sinners. And we can do nothing more than throw ourselves at his feet for help. Um, And we do recognizing that we have no right to expect any grace from him. We are rebels, we are sinners, we are enemies. We don't have any right to expect anything. We don't even have any worthiness to commend us to Christ the way Ruth had a worthiness to commend herself to Boaz. And yet, what do we find when we come to Christ? With nothing but our sins. Uh, What is in his heart for his people? We find blessing and comfort from our Redeemer when we come to him. When we pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, what does he respond by saying? I will be merciful toward your iniquities, and I will remember your sins no more. When we come, we find blessing, we find comfort. And when we come to him, he delights that we've come to him. Right? Just as Boaz doesn't see this as just you know, an obligation that's a drag imposed on him, He delights to be able to do this. He's not a reluctant redeemer. And that too is very Christ-like, isn't it? Christ is not a reluctant redeemer. He's like the father of the prodigal son, that when we come to him, he comes running to us. Uh, He delights to redeem us, to save us. In fact, Jesus tells us that there is great joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. Because heaven delights in people coming to Christ and seeking redemption. And what's wonderful about our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, is that he is not ashamed of us. We have no worthiness to commend ourselves to him. And yet when we come to him seeking his care, seeking his redemption, he is not ashamed of us. I'm always amazed by those two expressions in the book of Hebrews. The first is in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, where we're told that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. 
Then in Hebrews 11.16, we're told that God is not ashamed to be called our God. Jesus isn't ashamed to be our brother. God's not ashamed to be our God. And why is that? Not because we have a worthiness of our own, but because we've been made worthy by the redemption of Christ. He in his perfection has caused us to be looked on by God's grace as if we were like Jesus. We are not worthy, but he is worthy. And he has not only saved us to make us like himself, but is making us like himself by his spirit through sanctification more and more so that when we see him, we will be like him. And when we cast ourselves at his feet and find a redeemer who is delighted to be a redeemer and who's not ashamed to be called our God, the wonderful thing he says to us is to not be afraid. To not be afraid. Right? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Um, I will go to prepare a place for you. It's a wonderful thing that she's put herself at her Redeemer's feet in this story and found that he, she is in his heart to be a Redeemer. And we find that from our Lord Jesus Christ as well. And as we come to the Redeemer, then we come under the Redeemer's care. Uh, that's a wonderful response that, that Boaz makes to what she's done to say, I'm going to see to it that you will be redeemed. Right? Ruth is coming completely under his care now to do what needs doing for her. Now, from a human perspective, Ruth and Naomi have been responsible for finding their own way in the world. Um, and it's not been an easy road they've had to go as two poor, powerless widows in that society. Um, but now here is someone who's determined to act for them, uh, under whose care they've come. Um, someone who is powerful and wealthy and worthy um, and the point here is not that, you know, women need a man to care for them. That's not the, the point that the Holy Spirit is making here. Well, the whole, I think the point the Holy Spirit is making here is that God is a provider for the poor and needy. And you don't have to be a poor, powerless widow like Ruth and Naomi were to be someone who's poor and needy. After all, it was David who was the mighty warrior king of Israel who said in Psalm 40, verse 17, As for me, I am poor and needy but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Even a king like he was is poor and needy before the face of the Lord. And this passage is a reminder that God provides for the poor and for the needy, that the Lord takes thought for those who need him. And we see the completeness of Boaz's care for Ruth when he promises to see to it that she is redeemed. Right? He promises to take her redemption into his hands. He also takes her reputation into his hands. Right In verse 14, he sends her back in the darkness so that no one sees that she's been there. He instructs his people not to tell anyone that she's been there so that people won't get the wrong impression about what she's been doing there. He provides for her. He doesn't send her back to her mother-in-law empty-handed. The, the comprehensive care that he gives to her here um, is wonderful, um, and it's going to require her to trust him as a redeemer, right? Uh, that's, that's at the point where we hear this news that, you know, there is another redeemer that's closer than he is. And they're going to, he's going to go settle that matter the next morning. But if the closer redeemer wants to redeem, then he's going to be the redeemer. 
Um, but if that closer redeemer does not want to redeem, then Boaz will redeem her. And so what he's saying to her is, tomorrow morning we will settle this, and either way you will be redeemed. Um, I always think this has to require a tremendous amount of trust from Ruth, right? On the one hand, it's good news that either way she's going to be redeemed. But if I were her, my question would be, who is this other guy? Uh, who is this other guy that might redeem? You, might mean, you mean I might have to marry someone else, kind of sight unseen? Uh, will he be the kind of person that Boaz is? Um, and, and Boaz, I don't think, is expressing indifference here. You know, whether he will or I will, it really doesn't make, it, make a difference. I don't think he's expressing indifference. What he's showing is that he's a worthy man that trusts himself to the law of God. He says, you know, according to God's law, if he asserts his rights, there's nothing that I can do. But Boaz is promising that he will see to it that she is redeemed. And just as she's trusting herself to Boaz, he's trusting himself to God's will in these matters and really saying by submitting to God's law, thy will be done. Um, And she does show a remarkable amount of trust in him that she doesn't dispute this plan either. Um, She knows that he will do for her what he's promised. And this care of his really inspires confidence. Um, Confidence that Boaz will not stop until she's redeemed. Um, He's going to make sure that it's done. I love what Naomi says in verse 18. The man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Um, He's not going to leave this request unfulfilled. He is going to make sure that he does not rest until she is redeemed. Um, And there too, how can we not see our Savior in that um, picture of a Redeemer? Our Lord is one who will not rest until we are redeemed. He will not rest until his people come under his care and enjoy his salvation. He will not rest until it is accomplished. That's the wonderful good news of our Redeemer. And his care for us should also inspire our confidence in him. I think the faith that Ruth and Boaz show here is remarkable. A remarkable willingness to trust in God's providence and in God's plan. Sometimes we have a problem with that. Uh, we, we worry about our Lord's plan or worry how it will work out for us and are things really working out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But we can trust ourselves into our Redeemer's plan. Knowing that Christ is the kind of Redeemer, well, nothing in heaven and on earth is going to stop him from completing his redemptive work. And his redemptive work is not just to save our souls, but to save us body and soul in glory. He will not rest until we are redeemed. He will not rest until we are glorified. And that gives us tremendous hope as God's people. Uh, to know that we are under this Redeemer's care and he will not rest until his work in us has been brought to completion, until his work in us is finished. So may we be those who hope in that Redeemer. For the testimony of the word is true that those who put their trust in him will not be put to shame. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you that you have provided us a redeemer. We know that we need to be brought out of our slavery to sin and to death. We thank you that you have provided a redeemer in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is our kinsman, a brother who has come to save us, to be his brothers and sisters, to bring us into your family. And it's remarkable every time we hear it, Lord, that you are not ashamed to be called our God and that Christ is not ashamed to be called our brother 
And we thank you for the worthiness that we've been given in Christ. And so we pray that we would trust ourselves to your care. We know that you care for us, body and soul, that you love us, and the measure of how much you love us is seen that you sent your Son to save us. So may we trust ourselves to you, knowing that you will be a Redeemer who will save to the uttermost. And may we give you all the glory, for you have done it. And hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.